Hey, we are in uh, week number two of our series called Identity. In case you didn't realize, uh, it's up there uh, behind me. And what we're trying to do here, uh, we're trying to talk to or talk about your identity. And the big question that puzzles many, many people is the question of who am I? Who am I? And it's a, it's a topic that is becoming uh, increasingly more and more and more in the spotlight. It is, a, it is a topic that is at the center of many lively debates from every sphere of life. And that's to put it uh, lightly. How many know that whilst in society we've attempted to bring clarity to the subject of identity, we've only achieved crisis? Now, we understand that this is a topic that we must tread carefully. We agree with that. But how many know, and more importantly, it is a topic that we must approach truthfully? Because the truth is that your identity can be shaped, it can be formed, and it can be molded in many different ways. For example, what people say about you and what people say to you can influence your identity. Maybe someone said something that's encouraging or discouraging to you. Nonetheless, you've taken that on board. You've believed it to be true, and therefore it now becomes part of uh, your identity. Maybe you've been told that you're a failure. Maybe you've been told that you're not good and you've struggled struggled for years to drop it off. I'm going to tell you this morning, you're about to learn something true about who you are. You see, what you say about yourself can also influence, shape, mold, and form your identity. Let me give you an example. You ever had to write a CV? You see, we have to be careful here when we're we're saying stuff about ourselves. Why do we need to be careful? Because often, When we're trying to write about ourselves or we're trying to say something or think about ourselves, it's often clouded by the impression that we're trying to cast. Now, when you've got a CV, it's a really, some parts are really easy to write, okay? When you've got to write about where you worked, that's easy. When you've got to write about where you studied, that's easy. You've got to write about your qualifications, that's really easy. How many know it's like rocket science when you've got to write about yourself? When you get to that part in your CV, you're going to struggle, And the reason is because we're trying to be or we're trying to write about ourselves as someone who is liked, and we're trying to write about ourselves uh, as someone who is employable, even if we're not. (laughs) Let me give you an example. I know, I'm sure you've done this. I certainly have. You've probably written in your CV that you're a team player, but you forgot to leave out the part that you prefer a team only that consists of people that you like. You may have wrote in your CV that you can tackle any task, but you forgot to leave out the part that you prefer a task that requires minimal effort. (laughs) Maybe in your CV you wrote that you're committed, but you forgot to leave out the part you're committed only when it suits you. Here's my point, church. What you say about yourself, what you say about yourself is often based on how you want others to perceive you. It's based on an impression that you're trying to cast, not the real you. Here is some good news. Because above what others think of yourself, and above what you think of yourself, there is a true source who provides an unchanging perspective of who you are. I think, and you'll agree with me on this one, we as believers need to stand firm in the Word of God. And how, who knows that who best to provide a perspective on our life than the one who created us? Can I get an amen? 
So the underlying question that we're trying to answer is, who am I? Who am I? And I propose this morning that we switch tack a little bit and answer the question, who does God say I am? Because I know for a fact that his perspective of you is not based on false perceptions. It's not based on someone that you want to be. It's not based on what others think you are. It's certainly not based on the Instagram you. It's based on nothing but the truth. Speaking of truth, we can't cover everything that the Bible says about you in a single series. Okay, We just, we just can't. There's just too much. In fact, if we wanted to, we would have to give you 50-point sermons. And I know for a fact that you struggle with three points on a Sunday sermon. And it's only Monday. You're trying to remember what we covered. So we're going to keep it simple this morning. We're going to go with three. But think of it as this way. That in itself is an encouragement to read the word outside of a Sunday service. Because this book here will contain everything that you need to know about yourself. That book there will wrestle with your stubbornness. It'll wrestle with your stubbornness. I think sometimes God just takes joy and wrestling with our stubbornness. But here's the thing. This thing here will stop you from looking inwardly at ourselves, and it will force us to focus on Him and Him alone. It will switch your mindset from look at me, look at me, look at me, to look at Him, look at Him, and look at Him. What was that? It was like a Wookiee noise. That's what I call my son. Oh, no, our dog, sorry. Wookiee. I hope they heard that on the camera. Only when we fix our eyes on him can we find out who we really are. You see, we have it wrong in today's world. Okay, You've met those people who say, and I just need to find me. I just need to find myself. I just need to go on a personal journey with me, myself, and I. How many know that you cannot find yourself by looking at yourself? That just ain't going to work. If you want to find out who you really are, you've got to find God. You've got to go on a personal journey with God so He can reveal to you who you really are. And last week, we covered three points. First one was, is that we are made in His image. We learned that you are unique, and we learned that you are sons and daughters. And so I'm going to pick it up from there. Point number four for this morning is that you are called and you are chosen. Whew. You're called and you're chosen. John 15, uh, verse 16 says, you did not choose me. We're just going to let that sink in a bit. You did not choose me, but I chose and I appointed you so that you might go and what? Bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. You are called and you are chosen. You know, there is nothing that we can do to influence God's decision to choose us. Now, I don't know if you did this as kids, but we certainly did. We would gather all the kids in the neighborhood, and we would start a game of some sort. I don't know, it was touch or rugby uh, most times. But here's what we did. We would appoint a team captain. There were about 15 people from the neighborhood here, here, and the whole point of the team captain was not to influence the outcome of the game. It was simply just to choose the team. 
can this, I'll tell you what, this process was cruel. This was cult-like, this was a cult-like process because what the team captain had to do is he or she had to go through each person and say, I want you or I don't want you. And it was, it was so cruel. It was a process of elimination. I wasn't even a Christian at the time and I was praying to God, God, please let him choose me. Let him choose me. I don't want to be last because if you were last, straight up, if you were last, you knew that you provided no value whatsoever <laughs> to the team. In fact, you had to bring some sort of athletic ability to the team in order for you to be chosen above others. How many are thankful that God doesn't base his calling on our ability to perform? He's not sitting on the throne performing an assessment going, oh, you can bring that to the table. We cannot influence his choice to call us. We cannot earn it. He calls us and chooses us just as we are. We're chosen and we're appointed, you might say, why? That's a very good question, simply so that we might bear fruit. We might bear fruit. He has not chosen us to glorify ourselves, walk around, walking around claiming to be the chosen one. Uh, he has not chosen us also for no purpose whatsoever. You will agree with me that we're not the chosen frozen. His reason for choosing us is simply that we might bear fruit. And producing fruit is not so that we can boast in our own abilities. It's not our claim to fame. The sole purpose of us bearing fruit is so that he is glorified. So that everything points to Jesus. In a natural sense, you will know that the uh, result of, or sorry, the healthy fruit is the evidence of a healthy plant. Okay? And uh, a healthy plant is also evidence of a very good root system. I was at Mitre 10 about a couple of weeks ago, got the call from, I was getting some supplies for home, got the call from Miranda, and she said, babe, I need you to pick up some food for my trees. And I had no idea what that was. All I heard was food. So I had to go ask the lady. I said, I need some food for our trees. She pointed me in the right direction, and I purchased uh, this bag, which was food for our trees. I took it home, and I read the label. And I'm going to share this with you because this is powerful. This is what it said on the label on the food that I bought for our trees. You've got to realize that in Isaiah 53, it talks about Jesus as our roots that can spring up in the driest of places. Here's what it said on this label for the food for the trees. It says this, to promote a healthy plant, apply the food to the entire root system. Ensure that you are feeding the roots which are sitting beneath the soil, and it gets better because there were two drawings. One drawing was a picture of a person grabbing their little shovel and digging up the top layer of the soil, applying this food for the trees. And next to that one image was another image of a person who grabbed the food, and that person was sprinkling the food over the leaves and over the branches, and right through that second image was a big, fat, red cross. How many, how many know that we ought to be focused on establishing roots? We ought to be dedicated to strengthening our root system, but how many know it's going to take a little bit of digging? It's going to take a little bit of digging, but I reckon we need to stop feeding areas of our lives that do not promote the production of healthy fruit. You see, producing fruit is one thing. Producing fruit is one thing, but producing healthy fruit that remains is another. We need to settle on a firm foundation. Jesus is the root system which will spring up at any time. And the reason is because when you go through that season, 
When you go through that season, you will need your feet firmly placed in a root system that will survive that dry season, that will survive that hot season, that will survive that drought. And I love that we are called to bear fruit. Why? Well, it simply points to Jesus. It all points to Jesus. Here's why. You've got to understand that we cannot bear fruit unless we remain in him. This is also mentioned a few verses up. Let me paraphrase it for you. It says, healthy fruit bearing is the evidence of abiding or remaining in him. So should we not abide in him, then what we produce is not healthy fruit. What we produce is counterfeit fruit that can potentially rot. You might say, why Why is this important for my identity? Why do I need to know this? I'm glad you asked. The answer is this, because nothing will derail your identity like something that is counterfeit. You need to grasp the idea that you are chosen, you must abide in him, and we must produce fruit. You see, if we don't grasp that idea, if we can't hold on to that time after time after time, we're working towards a standard that is constantly moving. You know the saying, not only are you saved from something, you are saved for something. Amen? Point number five is this. You are God's workmanship. You're God's workmanship. In Ephesians 2 verses 10, it says, for we are His. You can say it with me, church, workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I love the Greek translation of the word workmanship. By the way, while we're on the topic of workmanship, uh, that word is currently under fire, and it requires another sermon for another day, which Pastor Adam can handle. (laughs) The Greek translation of the word workmanship is uh, that it is crafted with skill and purpose by God, for his purpose. Crafted with skill. Crafted with purpose by God for his purposes. God doesn't slip, slop, and slap, grab some duct tape, grab a hammer and a nail and whack it together and say, voila, we do that. He is a skilled craftsman. And here's the key point. Every part of your life, good, bad, ugly, imperfection, or not, is included in what God considers a masterpiece. Every part is considered a masterpiece. You are created with skill. And when I think about being likened to a masterpiece, I'm reminded of a time uh, that I went, went to a museum uh, in Barcelona back in the olden days and we could travel two years ago. And this was uh, an art museum and I paid 50 euro to get in which I thought was quite high. But anyway, I'll I'll reveal the story to you. So I paid 50 euro to get into this art museum, and I walk through the front doors, and I'm going to describe to you the main attraction. I'm going to describe the masterpiece as soon as you walk in the door, because I walked in, paid my $50, stood there and thought, oh my gosh, I've been ripped off. Let me tell you why. Because the main attraction was a piece that was worth millions and millions of dollars. It was a canvas that spanned floor to ceiling. It was huge. It was about as wide as the stage. And right through the middle of this canvas... You get it. There was a black line that just spanned left to right. Just a black line about yay thick. And I kid you not, I heard about half a dozen people whisper under their breath, I could do that. (laughs) This was a piece that was worth millions. 
And next to this piece was a story. There was a story next to this piece. And as I uh, was reading the story, it started to occur to me that this story wasn't pointing to the art. It was pointing to the artist. It wasn't telling me about this art and the form that it was used. It was just saying, this is the artist and this is the state that he was in. And I realized two things. One, I got my 50 bucks worth. But two, it reminded me that while we might be the masterpiece, he is the artist behind you. All credit and all acknowledgement goes to the one who skillfully and purposefully created you. The artist in that museum was credited, was acknowledged for what some people may consider a masterpiece. We are his workmanship. And we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. There are things for you that God prepared in advance. And you might say, man, I don't even see how it all fits together. I don't even feel how it all fits together. I don't even understand how it all fits together. But it is him who prepares the way. And you might say, man, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. I want to remind you this morning that you are his workmanship, and he's prepared a way. We know that for whatever force that the enemy brings against us, God's already provided the resource. You might go, well, why is being a workmanship important for my identity? Again, glad you asked. Here's the thing. You are his workmanship. You're skillfully created. He will not leave you hanging dry. You will be tested. You will be stretched, you will be challenged, but know that he has already prepared the way for you. Point number six is this. You are more than a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror. I love what God's doing here. He's just taking it up a notch, okay? We're not just conquerors. We're more than a conqueror. I'm going to explain why in a sec, but we've got a bit of scripture to get through. We're going to start in Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 to 39, it says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? That's you, my friend. It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He goes on to say, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And then it says, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, to give you a bit of context here, Paul is writing uh, to the Romans, uh, and what would happen in Rome is armies would would just come and go, okay? There was just a common occurrence. Armies would come and go, and if you conquered or if you defeated the enemy, 
you would be considered as uh, having conquered the enemy. Okay, if you if you won, uh, then you conquered. But there are occasions uh, where armies would not only defeat the enemy, but they would also take ground, and they would also subdue the enemy's land. And so the idea of being more than a conqueror is not simply defeating, but taking back territory in the process of winning. I'm believing that whatever the enemy has robbed from you, it's about to be subdued. You may have lost purpose along your journey. The enemy's trying to beat you down, take you down. But my Bible says, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. It is through him and it is through his strength that you are more than conquerors. How many know that it's not about our own doing? It's not about our own merits. It's not about what we've done. It's not about how well we perform. How many know that God conquered the grave? Not us. He conquered death, not us. And so we are more than conquerors because of his strength and his power. It's not based on our strength and our power. I'm glad that's the case because I tell you what, we wouldn't last. Because I tell you, the enemy wants to get you one-on-one with him. Where you walk around going, I've got this. This is my fight. I'll fight him one-on-one. I'll take him down. This is how the enemy wants you to be. But God wants you to let that go. He wants you to surrender it, swallow your pride, and let God take control. See, we are only victorious because of what he has done. I love what it says in Revelation, and you might know this. It says, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. How good is that? You know, I love a good test match every now and then. Uh, there we go. And uh, I love watching the All Blacks, especially when we win. And you've got to understand, Miranda hates rugby. Like, just, it's not her thing, okay? And every time there's a game on, she will go to sleep. So I watch the game normally on my own. And if we win, I'm going to slip into bed, and I'm going to tap her on the shoulder. She's not going to respond the first time, but she always responds the second time. And I'm going to say this to her, babe, we won. I'm going to say, we won. I'm getting a little bit excited. I'm going to say, we won. But here's the truth. I didn't do anything. I'm just celebrating in the victory that I had nothing to do with. How many know because of what Jesus has done, you've won? Not because of something that you've said, not because of something that you've done, not because of something that someone else has done. We have the victory because of what Jesus did. And if the keys come up, that would be awesome. We're going to hit verse number 38 as we land uh, the sermon, and it says this, For I am convinced, I am convinced, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor, the, nor anything else in all creation will able, grab hold of this, will able to be separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. You might feel alone. You might feel unloved, or you might think no one cares. But his plan, and this is good news, his plan is to never let anything come between you and him. He will never let you go, and he will fight for you, and you can face the worst of the world's uncertainties. 
confidence. How? By being planted in Him. Because my Bible tells me that we are more than conquerors. And you might say, well, I'm struggling. Because we will, we will sometimes struggle to know and believe who God says we are when we're constantly looking inwards or if we're constantly taken on board what other people were saying about us. Here's the thing, while God will fight for you, He will also wrestle with you. He will wrestle with you for you to know who you really are. And I encourage you, church, to let God squeeze out what you have let seat in. You've been robbed for too long believing what someone or what yourself has said about you. You believed it for so long that all you've come to know about yourself is false. And God is trying to get you to surrender what you're holding because there are some things that we won't know about ourselves unless we surrender. Perhaps you've let those labels become permanent and you've tried to get those labels off. You've tried to scrub as hard as you can, but it's still not working. It reminds me of those stickers when you buy something from the shops and you peel off the top layer of the sticker and there's still some stickiness underneath. Doesn't that drive you nuts? And you try your hardest to get off, but it still stays, so you just leave it. We've let labels do the same thing to us. We've peeled off the top layer, but there's still some stuff that we need to work on. We need Him to work on. We need to get to a place where we can say, God, You've got the power to break me, but you've also got the power to shape me. Surrender it to God. Let Him make you. Let Him mold you. Let Him form you into who He wants you to be. Let go and let God. You are His workmanship. He's prepared the way. And friends, you are more than a conqueror. And let me close by saying this. To ignore God. To ignore God is to ignore you. He's the only one that knows your purpose, your identity, your destiny, your plan, and ultimately who you are. Church, would you bow your heads with me this morning? I want to pray for just a couple of groups of people here today, and you may even be on the other end of the camera, this is still applicable to you. Just because we're sitting here doesn't mean that it's only for us, this is for you too. But maybe you've you've accepted what someone has said about you, maybe you've accepted what you've said about yourself, and you just have not let that go. And it's like those annoying labels, where you've kind of just peeled off the top layer, but there's still some stickiness underneath. You've got to remember you're God's workmanship. He's prepared the way for you, you're chosen. I just pray right now, if there is anyone, God, like that, I pray in the name of Jesus, God, that you would reveal to them who you called them to be. God, you would reveal them who they are. And God, I pray right now that we would just surrender it. We would surrender it. God, we would put it in your hands. God, we know you have the power to make us. You have the power to break us. And God, as we wrestle with what people have said, what we've said about ourselves. God, I pray right now that there'd be a sense of peace in this place, knowing that all glory and all honor goes to you. Maybe you're in this place and you've 
not following Jesus anymore, or maybe you have never in the first place. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe he's not your Lord and Savior. This is your opportunity to say yes, to commit your life to Jesus. He's called you. And he wants to enter into a relationship with you. And we're going to say a prayer together as a, as a family. Uh, if you do want to commit your life to Jesus, if you do want to say yes to him, I'm going to ask on the count of three, if that is you, would you raise your hand? And that is just simply uh, providing me an indication of who we're praying for. No one's looking around. Every head's bowed in this place. On the count of three, if you want to say yes to Jesus, if you want him as your Lord and Savior, would you raise your hand? One, Jesus loves you. Two, this will be the best decision you'll ever make. Three, if you want to say yes to Jesus, raise that hand nice and high. Awesome. See the hand on the left. See that hand down the back. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe you've said yes uh, at home, and you can also repeat this prayer wherever you are, and we're going to do it here at Connect Church as a family. God is good, amen. Come on, let's repeat after me. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross. Today, I commit my life to you and you alone. Lead me and guide me. Today, you are now my Savior and forever. I choose to follow you, but when I muck up, God, correct me. Lead me and guide me in this journey called life. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Church, can we put our hands together for everyone that said yes to Jesus? How good. Hey, look, if you did say that, put your hand up for the first time. We have Pastor down the back, Pastor Natalie, who's holding up a book. That is for you. Okay, we encourage you to get into it. Uh, there's a little thing about the decision that you've made. So again, we encourage you to, to, to do that and get plugged into church, okay? One of the most important things you can do is do community, do life together. Amen. Hey, before I let you go, I want you to stand uh, and I'm going to pray a blessing over you. But just a reminder, we have a prayer station over to my right here. Yes, we are going to abide to uh, the rules. So it's going to be distant prayer station. But there is a prayer station should you need anything. Just a reminder, there is no cafe uh, that is open out there. But you can still talk. You've still got a mouth. So we can uh, have some good fellowship. Would you hold your hands out like that as I pronounce a blessing? It says this, The Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face towards you and give you peace. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, church, thanks for having